Good morning. First of all, obviously, thank you to the Ben Yishais for hosting. I know it's not an easy time to host. We're, we're smack in the middle of Shabbos, Yantef, Shabbos, Yantef, Shabbos, Yantef, and it's going to go on this way all the way until after Sukkot. So I know it's a bit of a chaotic time. So obviously, them for hosting. And, you know, when I mentioned the idea, somebody asked me about giving a, a speech to women. So I said, tonight I have a family simcha. Originally, it was going to be Sunday night. I have a family simcha, so I'm not able to do it. So I said, what about Sunday morning? So I don't think it's going to work. I don't think people are going to show up on a Sunday morning. They didn't even know there was going to be raining. But he said, I don't think that Sunday morning's a great time. It's not normally done. I said, okay, let's try it and see if uh, anyone will show up. I said, if it's three, four women, that's what it will be. So Baruch Hashem, I think that the, uh, the crowd has proved that even though it's a Sunday morning, people are interested in growing, people are interested in preparing for Yom Kippur. So, you know, that, that, that itself should be a tremendous chos for everyone, just the coming out. Forget about anything that hopefully we'll gain from this year, but the, the simple act or the not so simple act of coming out on a Sunday morning after a Shabbos, right before Yom Kippur and after a Shoshana, Yom Hashem should be a schos for, uh, for all of you. I think it also is probably an extra schos for the husbands also that they have to babysit on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Definitely worth it. I, I, I can't tell you what you should do after this year, but if you want to go out for another hour or two, <laughs> the husbands are home watching the kids, so you can, uh, you can do what you want with that. Um, so uh, maybe, maybe perhaps the fact that the shear is not in the typical time maybe share them are normally given. So with your permission, I think we're going to do a share that's maybe not so typical. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit, a little bit different than, than the typical share. I, I imagine, I've never been to a woman's share before Yom Kippur, but from what I heard from my wife and other people, I imagine that the typical share before Yom Kippur focuses a lot on allowing a woman to figure out what her role is when she's staying home. A woman stays home, a woman doesn't have the opportunity to go to shul. Most of the time in Yom Kippur, for a little bit if she has time, and it's, it's obviously hard and it's confusing and a person wants to be able to connect as much as possible. And I'm sure you've heard speeches about that, trying to explain what the role of the woman is when she's at home with the kids, watching the kids, and now that's what the Rabbanisham wants. And I think we'll leave that to perhaps other speeches and uh, we'll talk about something different. I think maybe perhaps some of the other speeches you've heard are about tshuva and the process of tshuva and discussing how to do tshuva and what is tshuva. But if it's okay, I think we're gonna take a totally different route and I think we're gonna say a story. I think that's going to be the crux of the of the speech. It's going to be a story, and we'll see we'll see what we get out of the story. But the main thing is is we're here to say a story and to say a story. And I think specifically this time of the year, the time of the year that Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, it's very important to talk about stories because we know Chazal tell us that there's three books that are open: Sefer Shal Sadikim, Shal Rosham, Shal Bainanim, that are open in front of Hashem, and Hashem is inscribing every single one of us into one of those books but he's not writing about what, what happened over the past year. Hashem's really writing now what our story is gonna look like for the future. And the word Sefer, which means book, Sifrin Shal Sadikim, Sifrin Shal Beninim, Sifrin Shal Risham, that word Sefer, the Sefer Yitzirah tells us has the same letters as the word Sipur, a story. Because what Hashem's doing at this time of the year is allowing us to write our story for what we want the rest of the year to look like. And therefore it's a time which it's worthwhile to talk, uh, talk about stories it's also Sunday morning, Matzah Shabbos is a very opportune time to discuss stories. So perhaps we'll save our story and then we'll try to say some practical lessons that we can get out of the story. It's also not so typical because the story is not true. And the story is not either, not either exactly a mashal. It's a story that Rabbi Nachman from Breslov said over 250 years ago. And he was, aside from the fact that he was a, a tremendous Rebbe who had Tyra that's very, very deep. One of the things that he did was he was a master storyteller master storyteller, but he didn't tell stories like other tzaddikim about things that happened. He didn't tell stories about other tzaddikim. He told stories that were totally not true. And, and some of them are real fantasies. I'm talking about with dragons and, and flying people and palaces. It, it's, it's real, real story tales that are fantasies that you, know, you would think they're, they're, they're Disney stories. 
But Rav Nachman said that the stories contain with it the deepest, deepest secrets of Kabbalah. Rav Nassim writes in his introduction to the stories that anybody who's proficient in the writings of the Arizal or the Zerah Kaddish will understand how every single detail of the story is there for a purpose and is explaining something. So it's not just a mashal, a dubnamag and mashal. You hear a mashal and then there's a nimshal. There's a whole world taking place inside of these stories. There's really 13 main stories that Rav Nachman wrote. They're called Sipurim Isis, Rav Nachman told over. And you can spend months and months and months. And I don't say this, I don't say this with exaggeration. I gave a share before I moved to Lakewood, I gave a share in Seattle for months on, on the first story. And, and we, we didn't get very far into the story. We, got, we just scratched the surface of the story. And I was talking about it on a practical level, not on a deeper level, not on a Kabbalistic level. It's not something that I'm capable of doing. But, and that was just in the first story, and maybe the first paragraph or two of the story. Every single one of the stories contained a wealth, a wealth of information, of knowledge, of self-help, of useful tools, how a person can make it through life. And, and, and it's worthwhile to read them. You can read them in English, to have them in English. It's worthwhile to read because Reb Nachman left the stories up, up to uh, every person that reads it to translate the stories and to interpret it in their own ways. And they can be interpreted in many, many ways. I have a friend of mine who wrote a book on the first story. It's probably a three, 400 page book on the first story. Just the first story. And again, it's a story. It's a simple story about a princess who gets lost and she gets found. It seems like a very, very simple story. It's called The Lost Princess. But there's a lot, a lot, a lot of depth and a lot of self-help and a lot of knowledge and a lot of deep, real deep secrets about how we can live life that are contained in these stories. So obviously, I'm not going to be able to say one of the longer stories. I'm not going to be able to obviously expound even on the story that we're talking about in a long way. But I want to say one of the shorter stories that's not even really one of the part of the 13. It comes after the 13 stories. It's a short story and maybe even heard it before. It's maybe one of the more, a little bit more famous stories from Rav Nachman. And hopefully we'll talk about how this story is really the secret to doing tshuva. We'll say five or six different lessons that I think we can take practical lessons that we can take out of the story and hopefully you know, giving, giving it over in this way that it's a story and it's something which is even a bit of a comical story will help us figure out, okay, what do we do and how do we find ourselves within this story and get to the place called tshuva. So I'm gonna read this story in English. Obviously, it was originally said in Yiddish and then translated into Hebrew and then translated again into English. I'm gonna read, read it in English and we'll, we'll, we'll take what we can from this story. There was once a prince who lived with his father and mother, the king and the queen, in a splendid fashion. He received the finest education and upbringing. He had everything that he needed, everything he needed. Clothing, health, wealth, food, everything was perfect. Unfortunately, one day the prince went mad and came to the conclusion that he wasn't a human being anymore. He was a turkey. So maybe Nur Nachman said this story, this identity crisis was something that was maybe very, you know, total fantasy. Maybe perhaps in 2022, it's something which is not as far in. But this is what the king decided. He decided he's no longer a human being. He identifies as a, as a turkey. Initially, the king and queen thought he was kidding. <laughs> this is funny, it's cute, it's a nice joke, but they thought he was kidding. However, he stopped joining them at the royal table and instead moved under the table and sat there naked, pecking at crumbs. And they knew that, they, they knew that serious trouble was afoot. This is what the prince did. He's, not, he's no longer part of the family. He doesn't talk English anymore. He doesn't speak to them anymore. He sits under the table in the, royal, in the royal palace and he's eating crumbs. And they would obviously throw him food down in order to make sure that he was fed. But nothing, nothing. They couldn't do anything. Needless to say, the prince's strange behavior caused indescribable sadness for his loving parents and intense embarrassment for the royal family at large. Right? We know what the royal family, how important the royal family is. I think we all learned over the past few weeks how, how much of a pride people take in it. And here you have the prince the only son of the king who's not acting, like a, not acting like a prince, not even acting like a human being, sitting under the table, packing out crumbs naked. The king was ready to spare no expense for the person who could cure his son. The finest doctors and psychiatrists of the land came and tried to cure the prince, 
All to no avail. Nothing happened, nothing helped. He's sitting there, everybody, everybody, everybody's coming to try to save the king, to save the prince, to try to heal him. Nothing's helping. The king was at a loss until a gentle looking wise man came to the palace. I hereby offer to cure the king, to cure the prince, I'm sorry, free of charge, declared the man. My only condition is that no one interferes with anything I do. He said, I'll cure him, but nobody can interfere. Everybody leave me alone. Allow me to cure the prince the way I think is, is best. Intrigued and desperate, the king and queen readily agreed. The following day, the prince had company under the table. It was the wise man. The wise man goes under the table with him. What are you doing here? And the wise man is unclothed also, sitting there naked under the table with the prince. What are you doing here, asked the turkey prince. So why are you here, countered the man. The, the, the prince said, I'm a turkey. This is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. I sit under the table. Well, I'm also a turkey, the man said. With that, he began to gobble like a turkey and peck at the crumbs on the floor. The prince was convinced. A few days passed in this fashion, and obviously it's bothering the king tremendously. Here is this wise man who's supposed to be saving his son and helping cure his son. And instead of doing that, he just got caught into the madness of his son. And they're both sitting underneath the table, naked, pecking at crumbs. One morning, the wise man, the wise man signaled to the king to bring him a shirt. He said to the prince, who's sitting under the table with him, I don't see any reason why a turkey can't wear a shirt. The prince thought about it for a few minutes and agreed. He said, okay, we can be a turkey and we can wear a shirt. And soon the two of them were wearing shirts. Soon the wise men signaled again a few days later and they brought a pair of pants. He said to the prince, is it forbidden for turkeys to wear pants? Certainly not. The prince thought it over and agreed. And soon the two of them were wearing pants and shirts. So the process continued. Shortly thereafter, the wise men convinced the turkey prince that it was not forbidden for turkeys to eat human food. Why do we have to sit here eating crumbs and bones? This delicious food, we're in the palace. There's the royal chef who's making food, which is surely tastier. Let's go and eat the regular food. The prince was again convinced and said, you're right. Why do we have to eat this food just because we're turkeys? We can eat human food. They came, then came sitting at the table and enjoying human conversation. Just because we're turkeys, we can't talk to other people. Within a short time, the turkey prince, although still maintaining that he was a turkey, began conducting himself exactly like a regular person. And that's the end of the story. That's Reb Nachman's story. There's a lot, a lot of lessons to learn from the story. And I think we can stop here and everyone can go home. And I think if we thought about the story from now till Yom Kippur, I think we would be changed people. But I want to perhaps say a few lessons that I was thinking about over the past few days that we can take out of this story. The first lesson, and perhaps, perhaps a fundamental, a very, very fundamental lesson in understanding how to do tshuva is the beginning of the story. When Ibn Nachman began this story, Ibn Nachman didn't say that the prince, you know, the prince just decided on his own that he was going to sit under the table. He wrote, the prince went mad. In, in Hebrew, it's called Ben HaMelech Shenishtagel. The, the Ben HaMelech, the prince, went mad, he went crazy. He went crazy and he's sitting under the table eating like a turkey. When we, when we try to do tshuva, one of the issues that we have with doing tshuva is that we think that the things that we do, which are incorrect and improper, is us. And the process of tshuva means that I have to do something else other than what the real me wants to do. Chazal tell us that it doesn't work like that. Chazal say, Ein Adam nobody does an Avera, Unless a spirit of craziness enters into a person, which means that every single one of us from the day we're born until the day we die has only one ratzen. We only want to do one thing. And that's what Chazal called, We want to do that which Hashem wants us to do. What's the issue? Chazal tell us, this is Sarsha Be'isa, the Shibin Malchias. There are things that get in the way of allowing us to do that which we really want to do. And they get in the way and they convince us that that's the real us, that that's what we're really interested in doing is those things which are not aligned with the, with the real rutzen that we have. 
And therefore we get so convinced that when it comes to the process of tshuva, we say, wait a second. So I, now I need to go ahead and I need to get rid of this part of me, which is what I want to do. And I need to start doing something that's not the real me. I need, to, I need to start changing myself. I don't know if I'm ready to do that. And I don't know if I want to do that. that that's not what I really want to do. And therefore Chazal explained to us that every Aveira that we've ever done is called the Ruach Shtos. It's crazy. We, like the prince, we're the Ben HaMelech. The Ramon Hashem is the Melech. He's a Vino Malkeinu and we're the Ben HaMelech. And when we're sitting under the table not acting like a prince or a princess, it's not because that's what we really want to do. It's because we went mad. We went a little bit crazy. It's a Ruach Shtos. If we would really know and really believe, and we do believe this, but if at the time that we did an Aveira we would really have the consciousness to know that Hashem's standing there watching us, we would never do it. And if we would know what the results are gonna be after, we would never do it. What happens is, is we become blind for a minute. We go crazy for a minute and we do something which is not in line with the real us. And it makes us crazy and it makes us do things which are wrong. But the process of tshuva just means that we're healing. We're getting back to the real us, what we really wanna do. And that's the first step in believing that we're capable of doing tshuva is believing that the Averis that we do is not us. It's crazy. It's, and again, we're responsible for it. We'll talk in a minute, we're responsible. Doesn't mean, we're, doesn't mean that we don't have to take responsibility for that which we did wrong, but it's crazy. And the things that we do wrong is a ruach shtos. It's a spirit of craziness that enters in. The Svasemis writes in, in, this past week's, in this past week's parsha on the Haftarah that we read in Shabbat Shuvah, and that's why it's called Shabbat Shuvah. It says, Shuvu Yisrael, ara shemelekecha, return klal Yisrael to the Rabbani Shalom, ki kashalta ba'avaynecha. Kishalta ba'avenecha. Zok desvasamis. What does the word kishalta ba'avenecha mean? Avenecha means your averis. What does kishalta mean? Says desvasamis. Kishalta means you stumbled over your averis. As desvasamis, we're talking about things that you did wrong. You don't stumble over an avera. None of us have ever just by mistake just stumbled into an avera. We're conscious when we do an avera. We know what we're doing, and either we either we give ourselves reasons why we think it's okay, and we and we tell ourselves that you know we have some sort of explanation, but we don't stumble into averis. What does the navi mean? Shuvi Yisrael. Even though we've done that, which is wrong, we need to believe the real us, the nakuda, the point in us, which is the authentic us, remains in its place. Like the Chazal say, until that ruach shtos, that spirit of craziness enters in. We tripped over it, which means we became blind at that moment and we tripped over the Avera. And when we believed that that's, the, that's what tshuva means, that's what the Navi is telling us. Shuva Yisrael, do tshuva, why? Because believe that when you did an Avera, you tripped over it. Now, of course you're responsible, but it, you tripped over it. It wasn't your fault. You did it because you got caught up in a moment of craziness. You know, the mashal I gave to somebody, I was talking about you know, on Shabbos day to somebody. You know, if a person gets drunk, yeshiva boy, none of, no, nobody here, none of our husbands, if somebody gets drunk, yeshiva boy, and, and he's by somebody's meal Friday night and he breaks a window. He's drunk and he's dancing, maybe it's on Purim, and he gets a little bit, little bit more wild than he should and he breaks the window. When he comes in the day after Purim and Shushan Purim to apologize for what took place. So this is the way the conversation should take place. Hi, I'm sorry, I got drunk and I got out of hand and I should have been more careful and I broke your window and I wanna pay for the window. And I wanna be responsible and I wanna clean up and I wanna take care of responsibility. However, however, I'm assuming that you can understand that that's not the real me. I don't, I don't normally show up to people's houses and break windows. I got drunk and maybe I got a little bit too drunk. And of course I'm responsible to fix the window, but I don't do that. That's not the real me. And when you get called for a shidduch reference, you're not gonna say he's a guy who goes around houses breaking windows. You can understand that he got drunk and he got out of hand and, and maybe he was pushed by somebody else, but that's not the real him. When we do an Avera, the process of tshuva is the same thing. We come to Hashem and we say, listen, I don't wanna do that. I, don't, I, I did it. And I'm not, I'm not saying that I don't have to take responsibility. I did it. 
And it's something that I did that was wrong. But at the same time, that's not the real me. I got caught up in a ruach shtus, I got caught up in a, in, in a spirit of craziness that made me do that. And therefore, I want to take responsibility, but I also want you to know Hashem, and I want ourselves to know that that's not the real us. That's not what we really want to do. Keshalta, we tripped ba'avanech, we tripped over the averis that we've done. The Tamach Tzedek, the third Lubavitch Rebbe, Menachem Mendel of Lubavitch, who was the third Lubavitch Rebbe called the Tamach Tzedek, he had a, a chassid who was a businessman. And he used to travel around to big centers, you know, all around Russia, into small little villages. And when he went around, he became uncomfortable walking around looking like a chassid. Or a long frock and a chassidish hat. He felt uncomfortable. It wasn't something he felt comfortable. So what he did was slowly, especially when he was on business, you know, he put a cap on. He dressed in a way which he looked like everybody else. He, nevertheless, when he came to the Rebbe, he came to the Tzemach Tzedek, obviously he changed his clothing, he dressed proper. But on business, when he was out, out there in the street, he, he dressed like everybody else, like a secular, like a guy. One time he came to the he came to Lubavitch Rebbe to the Tzemach Tzedek and, and he told the Rebbe he said Rebbe enough's enough he says I've decided to put an end to my hypocritical behavior he said this is how I dress 364 days of the year all the time when I'm involved in business this is the way I dress I dress like a regular businessman I don't look like I don't look any different than the people around me he said so why should I delude myself and everybody around and the Rebbe when I come to the Rebbe that all of a sudden then I put on the long frock I take my payas out I put I put my hat on he said let me dress the way that I dress the other 364 days of the year why do I have to fool you he said you're mistaken he said do you think I wasn't aware that you dress differently when you're on business then, and in Paris, and when you're in Lubavitch, of course I know you dress differently. But I thought that this was the true you and you were fooling everybody else off in 364 days of the year. Now you're telling me that you're fooling me and the real you is the other 364 days of the year? He said, you're mistaken. And that's what tshuva is. Tshuva is that, of course, we're involved in things throughout the year that are not the real us. But when we show up on Yom Kippur, we show up on a Seri Tshuva, we say, Rabbanisham, this is the real us. And we, we got caught up in craziness th- throughout the year, but the real us is the pure us. The real us is the one that wants to do good. And it's born in Shulchan Aruch that a person should be careful during a Seri Tshuva to only eat Pas Yisrael. Even if throughout the year in their Terim, a person eats Pas Palter, a person eats bread, which is you know, baked by a non-Jewish baker, a person should be makbed. Now, again, it's foolish, right? Who, who are you fooling? Hashem? Hashem knows that the day after Yom Kippur, you're going back to eating the same bread, the same Entenmann's donuts you were eating before. So you're fooling Hashem by suddenly, you know, switching to the pastisol brand. You're not fooling Hashem. You're showing Hashem, this is the real me. The real me is really wants to be higher than I live throughout the year. But I'm not capable because I'm caught up on a lot of different things. But I want to show Hashem and more importantly myself that this is the real me. This is what I really want to be doing. And I, I'm, I'm just get caught up in this wachstus, this madness throughout the year. But the real me is the one that's living in an elevated place. And that's what Aserit Shemei Tshuva Yom Kippur, that's what Tshuva is. It's believing and understanding that the real us is better than the actions that we're doing. And I think that that's the first lesson we take out of this story. The, the prince went mad. He went mad, he went crazy because he's sitting under the table not acting like a prince. And if we believe and understand that when we do Averis and we do things which are wrong and we don't do that which is proper and we're, so to speak, not acting like a prince, it's also because of madness, then we're able to do proper truth. We're able to say, okay, we recognize, again, we have to take responsibility, but we recognize that nevertheless, it's not the real us. It's not what we really want to be doing. And that's the first step towards, towards doing tshuva. That's lesson number one. I think lesson number two is that tshuva is a process. Tshuva takes time. Everybody else that came in to heal the king gave it medication, maybe did hypnosis. It, it was a quick process. We came in, here's the medication, here's what we want to do to heal you. And it was a one-day process and nothing happened. Nothing changed. And they walked out 
you know, without getting any money from the king, without the king being, without the prince being healed, without the king being happy over the fact that they were able to heal the prince, and they moved on. The only thing that the wise man did, the first thing that the wise man did that was different, he told the king, it's gonna take time. And you have to trust the process. Don't interrupt me while I'm trying to heal the prince. Don't, the first day, had, had the king watched, the, watched this old man, this wise old man the first day and said, what are you doing? Don't, you moved, you moved under the table and kicked him out of the palace. The story would have, would have not had the happy ending it, ha it has. The, prince, the wise man told the king, you have to trust the process. You have to let it take time and it's gonna take days. And it took weeks until the wise old man was able to build up the trust of the prince to then say, okay, bring a shirt. Now bring a pair of pants. Now let's eat regular food. It takes time to build up that trust. But the whole way that the process was able to happen was because the king and the prince and the old man, they all trusted the process. They allowed it to take time. And they allowed it to say, it's gonna take weeks and months and years, but it's gonna happen. And, and one of, one of the, one of the, again, one of the obstacles to doing tshuva Another obstacle is that we think that we're supposed to walk out of Yom Kippur different people. And we're supposed to change in 40 days from first Chedesh El until Yom Kippur. And we're supposed to be brand new people. And it's impossible. It's impossible. It's not what Hashem wants of us. It's not what Hashem expects of us because it's not possible to change in 40 days. It's not possible to change in 40 years. It's a lifelong process. Tshuva is not just, I did something wrong and I say al shamnu and I say al chay and then I'm totally different and I move on. Tshuva is a lifelong process. And we have to recognize that it's steps, step by step by step. It works with putting on a shirt and then putting on a pants and then moving to the table and then eating regular food and then having regular conversations. It's a process. And when we try to think that tshuva is gonna happen right away, so then we end up tripping over ourselves and end up saying we're never gonna get there. And we walk in and we try to heal ourselves from all of the, all the things that are not well in our lives. And we say, but it's not happening. It's not working right away. I gave myself the medication and things aren't better. We have to trust the process slow. It takes time. You know, the, the, swarm, the swarm explained to us that there's two types of Yetzaharas. There's one Yetzahara which looks like a Yetzahara, the way we probably all pictured him, you know, since we're kids, he looks like a demon and he has, you know, he's red, maybe with a pitchfork if, you know, we've read some, some secular literature that, you know, he's a demon. It doesn't make a difference, but he looks evil. He looks evil and he portrays himself as evil. But then there's another type of Yetzahara which is much, much more difficult kind of Yetzahara to battle, and that's the holy Yetzahara. The one who shows up with a long white beard and a frock or shows up looking like a rabbitson, whatever your image of something holy is, that Yetzahara who shows up is so much more difficult to be able to fight. The Medrash says that when the, when the Sarshal Esav came to fight Yaakov Avinu, when that, that, the angel of, of Esav came to fight Yaakov Avinu, the Medrash says it's not so clear if he showed up looking like Esav. According to one opinion of the Medrash, he showed up looking like a tzaddik. He showed up looking like somebody holy. And that's the difficult Yetzar because what the Yetzar does is exactly this. The Yetzar says, you're doing tshuva, so, okay, you, you did something wrong, and now, you, and now you did tshuva, so why aren't you different? Why haven't you changed already? Why, why are you still falling into the same old patterns and doing the same things that you're doing? The Yetzirah gets comes to us, you know, looking like somebody holy and telling us that obviously you're not real if you haven't changed completely. And obviously if you're still stuck in doing the same things that you're doing before Yom Kippur, then obviously Yom Kippur didn't work. And obviously the tshuva that you did and the tears that you cried and the davening that you did, none of it means anything. You know why? Because you're not fully healed and you're not sitting at the table with, with, the, with the humans and you're not having human conversation. That's the Yetzirah which shows up looking like a tzaddik. And what the Yetzirah does is he says, okay, you wanna do tshuva? I'm gonna hire the flame of your desire to do tshuva to move it from, I wanna take one step. The Yetzirah says, why are you being satisfied at one step? Go all the way, run all the way to the finish line this Yom Kippur. I wanna change, I wanna become somebody totally different. I wanna change my whole Metzias, this, this Elul and this Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And it, and it looks holy, so it's so difficult to be able to differentiate and recognize that that's the Yetzirah. But Rav Nachman's telling us it's the Yetzirah. The process of tshuva is slow. It takes time. It can take months, it can take years, it can take decades. 
And we have to trust the process. We have to say, okay, we're here for the long haul. We're here, for the, we're here to know and to recognize that it's gonna take time. And when we sit and we recognize, like the king, say to be patient, okay, it's one step. He's wearing a shirt, but he's not sitting at the table, so nothing, it worked. It worked a little bit. And then it's gonna work a little bit more tomorrow and a little bit more the next day. And slowly we're able to see change. But when we listen to that voice of the eighth hour, which says, it's all or nothing. You have to move all the way to the table. Otherwise, otherwise you haven't been healed. Then we end up falling prey to that, to that trick of the Yetzirah, which looks like a Yetzirah and looks like he's trying to convince us to do good. And we end up saying, we're never gonna get anywhere. And we end up becoming totally, totally unsatisfied with any tshuva that we've done. And we say, none of it's worth it. And we're just gonna be stuck in the same things for the same things for the rest of our life. Recognize and appreciate and value every step that you make because every step is important. Every step is part of that process and moving from being a turkey to being a prince, to being a princess. It takes time and it takes work, but recognize and value and appreciate and celebrate the steps that we make towards moving back to the table again. And that's the second step. That's the second lesson I think that we can take from the, take from the story. Again, the first one is recognize that it's a madness. And the second one, is, second one is recognize it's a process, recognize it takes time. The third step, which is also very important for us to recognize, is that when we're that turkey prince, when we're sitting under the table, the prince couldn't get out on his own. He couldn't get himself from under the table to back to the seat on his own. He needed outside help. The Gemara Brachas tells us, it's a fascinating Gemara. The Gemara Brachas tells us that Rabchia bar Abba Chalash, he got sick. Rabchia bar Abba, one of them got sick. Rabbi Yechelen came in to visit him. He was sick. He did Bikar Chaylam. He said, Are you happy with the fact that you're sick? Are you being Makabal at Yahava? I don't want them and I don't want their reward, which itself is you know, a discussion for another time what he meant. So Rabbi Yechelen said to him, Give me your hand. He said, Give me your hand. Rabbi Abba, who was sick, gave him his hand. He picked him up. He physically picked him up and he healed him totally. This is the, the, the nace that Rabbi Yechelen did. Then the Gemara says, the next line of the Gemara says, Rabbi Yechanan Chalash. Rabbi Yechanan, the one who healed Rabbi Yechanan Abba, he became sick at a different time. Ola Gaber Rabbi came in, and Rabbi asked him, are you happy with the Yisru? And the same question. He said, no, I'm not happy. So he said, give me your hand. He gave him his hand and he picked him up. Ask the Gemara, I don't understand. Rabbi Yechanan healed Rabbi Abba. Then he got sick. And what happened? Instead of him healing himself, if he can heal Rabbi Abba, instead of him healing himself, he needed... He needed uh, Reb Chenina to come in and heal him. Ask the Gemara, why did he heal himself? Let Reb Yechenon pick himself up. Says the Gemara, A prisoner cannot take himself out of prison. A prisoner needs outside help to get himself out of prison. When, when, we're, when we find ourselves sitting under the table and we're the turkey prince and we find ourselves caught up in madness, we need to recognize that the way to get out is to reach out for help, to ask somebody else, to ask that wise old man, whether it's a mentor, whether it's a friend, whether it's a Rebbitzin, whether it's somebody else to go over to somebody else and say, we're struggling with something. We have something in our life that we don't know how to fix and we don't know how to get past it. And it's something that we know that we don't really want and we know we're not happy with, but we don't know how to get on our own. We're stuck. We're stuck under the table. We need help getting out. And we're able to make ourselves vulnerable to somebody else and to say, we need help. We need help. We need somebody to pull us out. We need somebody to give us their hand and to pick us up and to say, okay, this is the way that I got out of a similar situation. This is the way that I get out of the same situation. Or let's get out of this together 
Then a person's able to get out. And it's something which I, I, think, I, I think I found in my own life, that the more we're capable of having real, authentic, genuine, vulnerable conversations with other people about the process of tshuva, the more the tshuva process can be real. If the tshuva process is just about, you know, this is what we learned in seminary, and this is, you know, what we heard in the shir, and this is what it's supposed to look like, and there's some beautiful painting of what tshuva is supposed to look like, so it, it may work for a short amount of time, it's not gonna get us back to the table. The way to move from under the table to back to the table is by saying we need help. And, and, and to reach out and to have vulnerable, real conversations with people about that which you're struggling with. And, and I, again, I found in my own life that when I did that with the other people, I was surprised, pleasantly surprised at how willing people were to just have good, real conversations. I had over in my house this past Friday night, I had, I had I think we had, we had 11 boys over in my house this past Shabbos, all single guys, and, you know, mid, mid, mid to late 20s. Uh, the, the conversation Friday night, some of the guys, one of the guys, as the guys were leaving Master Shabbos, they all told me they, they were blown away. It was such a good, healthy, real conversation. It wasn't just, you know, what everybody else thought that they should be saying. We, we stayed up till two in the morning just schmoozing real, authentic things. Some of the people were talking about their struggles in dating and some of them talking about their struggles in Yiddish. But it was real and it was authentic and genuine. One of the guys told me after Shabbos said, I was so, I, I was so blown away. I, I, I thought I'm alone. I thought I'm the only one like struggling with this. And as soon as people started to open up, people started to schmooze, maybe because it was late Friday night and the, the situation allowed for it. But we were able to see that we're all going through something and we all have our challenges and we're all that turkey print sitting under the table. We're just not all sitting under the same table. And we were able to reach out to that wise old man and that story, whoever that look, whatever that looks like for us. It doesn't have to look the same. It could be a friend, it could be a mentor, it could be a parent, it could be a sister, but somebody on the outside and say, we need help. We wanna be able to better ourselves in a certain era. How can we get out of the situation that we're in? We'll find that we're able to pick ourselves up. And I think it's so important to recognize that tshuva, of course, is a personal avodah. Of course, it's something which we do need to do personally. Of course, we all need to chart our own path in the world of tshuva. But at the same time, we also have to not be, not be embarrassed and not be, and not be ashamed to be able to ask for outside help and to say, we need help moving from one place to the other. That's, I think, lesson number three. Lesson number four, and maybe, maybe the, I keep saying this is the most important, maybe this is the most important of all the lessons, is that in the nimshal, again, the way we're understanding the story, at least you know, today, in the nimshal, the wise old men, what he does is he doesn't sit by the table and tell the prince, come out from under the table. And you can be a turkey and still sit by the table and still sit here and eat regular food. He doesn't use the tactics that he used while sitting at the table. What the, prince, what the wise old man does is he gets down under the table with the prince, he takes his clothing off and he eats crumbs for weeks and he eats chicken bones for weeks. He becomes a turkey with the prince. He goes under the table and says, if I wanna help you, the only way I can really help you is by getting down at your level and understanding you and seeing you eye to eye and recognizing what you're going through and understanding your challenge. And only then can I be that wise old man who can pull you out from under the table. Not by sitting by the prince's table, sitting by the king's table, eating royal food and saying, come on, you know, come out from under there. But by getting under the table and saying, okay, let's figure out how we together can get out of there. And, and I think in the nimshal, perhaps there's a lot of ways to understand this, but I think perhaps in the nimshal it's Hashem. Hashem, we find even the Mechilta, the Mechilta says that Hashem appeared to Klal Yisrael like a Zakein Malay Rachman. When he appeared by Harsina, he appeared like an old man. And again, whatever this means, it's a discussion from another time. Obviously, Hashem didn't appear in the physical way, but Hashem appeared as a Zakein Malay Rachman to Klal Yisrael. We, we tend to think of Rosh Hashanah, Aser Tshuva, and Im Kippur as a judgment day. And a judgment day, the way we think of judgment, the way judgment happens in this world is there's a judge, and the judge sits at one end, one end of the room, 
And then there's the people that are being prosecuted, sitting at the other end of the room. And we tend to think of ourselves as sitting on the prosecutor's bench, and Hashem, the judge, is sitting up on this big, you know, this big table, you know, way, you know, on a dais all the way up, and maybe he's wearing a long white wig, and he has his black robes on, and he's all the malachim surrounding him, and he's looking down at us, and he's saying, okay, let's take out the books, and let's see what you've done wrong so far this year, and what you've done right, and let's see where you should be written, which book you should be written in. And, and nobody, nobody, definitely not in 2022, wants to be judged by anybody, including Hashem. We don't want somebody, including the Rabbi Hashem, to be sitting there judging us at the table, looking down at us and saying, these are the things that you've done wrong and this is what you, this is what you need to fix up for next year. We, we don't like a process like that. It's not healthy. We're not interested in a process where Hashem's sitting on the judge's bench and we're in the prosecutor's box and we're being looked down upon and told what we've done wrong. That's not a, that's not a healthy way to look at tshuva. Tshuva is not like that. Tshuva is we are kavayachal. The Rabbi Hashem comes down to us on our levels, under the table, Marjim says, I'm here with you and I understand that which you're going through. I get it. I understand what you're going through. You know, the, the Mishnah in Pirkei Yavis tells us, Al tadan chavercha, a person's not allowed to judge his friend, until you reach his place. Ask Sir Nachman, so I don't understand that. How can Hashem judge us? If Al tadan chavercha means, if you can't judge somebody, until you reach their place, and it doesn't mean the physical space, but it means understanding what somebody's gone through throughout their whole life and being able to see the Avera and that which they're doing right or wrong within the context, the greater context of their whole life. If we can't judge somebody else, so how does Hashem judge us? Says, says Reb Nachman for a very simple reason. The only one that could judge us is the Rabbanu because he doesn't judge us the way humans judge us. He says, Humans can't reach the place of their friend. The only one that can really understand everything, everything that we've gone through is the Rabbanisham. And that's why one of the names that we give to the Rabbanisham is he's called Makaim. When somebody goes to comfort somebody, lost somebody, we say, What does Hamakaim mean? Hamakam literally means the place, but it's a reference to Hashem. It's one of the names of Hashem. Hamakam means the place. Why? Chazal say, because who makaymah shall oilam, the ain ha oilam akaymah. Every person has a place by the Rabbanisham. The Alkain who levada yizbarach, Yachel ladanesa adam, ku yizbarach ba rachemim. Ubavade hu makayam banu, have idanes kala adam lakafschas. When Hashem judges us, He doesn't judge us and say, What have you done wrong? And what are the actions that you've done wrong? Hashem is capable of judging us with in the context of our whole life. All the traumas, everything we went through in childhood, everything from day one, from the moment we were born until the moment that we did whatever we did, right or wrong, Hashem is capable of seeing the big picture more than any other human and in a way that no other human can ever see. And therefore, when we, when we go through the tshuva process, it's not us sitting under the table and Kaviyachal the Rosh sitting as the king by the table and saying, get out from under there, become a better person. Hashem Kaviyachal comes under the table and says, I get it. I understand what you're going through. Hashem understands what the challenges are in 2022 because Hashem creates those challenges. Hashem understands what the Yetzirah looks like for us because He creates the Yetzirah. The Yetzirah is a malach that works for Hashem. Hashem doesn't judge us, you know, with the same, with the same nisyayness and the same judgment that our grandparents would judge with. Hashem says, I understand. I understand what you're going through and I get it and I understand the challenges and I know why it's difficult and I know why this is hard for you, but let's work it through together. And we recognize that that's what the tshuva process looks like then we're able to slowly move out of that, we're able to slowly move out of that place in order to be able to get to the place of healing. Where we say, okay, Rabbi Hashem is not standing on top of a pedestal, but the Rabbi Hashem is down there with us in the dirt. The Rabbi Hashem is saying, okay, I'm here. The Shechint is Begalusa. When Kalaisa wanted to Golas, the Shechina wanted to Golas, when we do an Avera that's also an aspect of Golas, Hashem comes with us into the Golas and says, I get it. 
I'm in your makam, I'm in your place. Understand all of the emotional and all of the, everything psychological that's taking place. Understand all of the difficulties that you have. And therefore, let's work it through together. Rabbi Hashem is on the same side of the bench as us saying, okay, let's pick ourselves up and let's, Rabbi Hashem says, let's get back to where we're supposed to be. And that's perhaps the fourth lesson that we get out of this story. The fifth lesson is that, and it's maybe a little bit connected to something that we, that we said is the first lesson, is the recognition that one step is also something. We tend to think of tshuva as black and white. It, it, it's either all or nothing. We've either done, we've either done everything or nothing. And, and, and we need to recognize that tshuva is not all or nothing. Tshuva is one step at a time. Now, we said at the beginning that it's, it's a lifelong process and we should recognize that it's part of the process. But what we're saying now is something more than that also. It's also recognizing that the one step I did is also called tshuva. Not just because, okay, there's a tshuva that's gonna happen decades and decades later and eventually I'll get there. But the one step that I took is also called tshuva. The Medrash says, and I said this by Shal Shaddis in, you know, in the Shtibah this week, that the Medrash says that Adam Arishan met Kayin, and Adam Arishan asked Kayin, what happened to you? Kayin, you, you're the first murderer. You're the first person that killed your brother. You, you, you cold-bloodedly cold killed your brother. What happened to you? So Kayin told Adam Arishan, I did tshuva. And Adam Arishan said, and what happened because you did tshuva? He said, Nisbasharti. He said, I made a pshara with Hashem. The Rebunshim didn't forgive me completely because I didn't do a full tshuva, but Hashem lessened the judgment that I was supposed to have. And instead of, you know, instead of things being terrible, Hashem said, I have to go into Golas, I have to be nov and nod, I have to travel around. And Adam Arishan said, wow, he says, that's the kayach of tshuva. And he says, Mizmer And he's blown away by the power of tshuva. What, what was Adam Arishan so blown away by? He didn't know about the power of tshuva before he met Kayan. What he was blown away, Reb Tzadik explains, it, it, he was blown away that it's possible to do tshuva only a little bit, and that's also called tshuva. That, that Kayan said, I didn't do a full tshuva. He said, if it's pasharti. And it's pasharti means I made a pshara. I made a compromise with Hashem. I went a little bit, and Hashem said, okay, I'm going to lessen things a little bit. I was able to do tshuva a little bit. I was able to say, okay, I'm not, I can't get all the way there, but I'm able to do tshuva a little bit, and that's also called tshuva. That was the chiddush of Kayan. Kayan told Adam Rishon, you're right, it's not, it's not the tshuva that's perfect, but that's also called tshuva. When Adam Rishon did tshuva, it wasn't perfect tshuva. And the biggest proof to that is that everything that Adam Rishon and Chava were cursed with and the world was cursed with, we're still suffering with. What Adam was cursed with and Chava and Arura Adama, everything, and the difficulties of childbirth and, and making money, all of that still remains. But Adam Rishon, nevertheless, Chazal tells did tshuva, but it wasn't a perfect tshuva. But Adam Rishon, Kain taught Adam Rishon that a little bit is also called tshuva. Because if that's where you're holding right now, and that's what you're capable of right now, that's also called tshuva. And that's, again, th that's what happens in this story. One step, he puts his shirt on, that's tshuva, that's healing. Not that this is part of the process of healing, that itself is called healing. Because right now, on whatever day it was for that prince, that's called healing. And the prince can say, I'm healed. I'm healed, I'm wearing a shirt, I'm not human, but I'm healed because I'm wearing a shirt. And that's perhaps the fifth lesson, which is again, connected to the first, but, but the recognition that, that, that each step itself is already called full tshuva. And the sixth, the sixth and final lesson, which perhaps is the most important lesson, again, I think I said this about every one of the six lessons, but perhaps is the most important lesson is where Rabbi Nachman ends the story. And, and, and it's such a, it, it's, it's so important for us to realize this. this, is the, this these are the lines that, that he ends the story with. Within a short time, the turkey prince, and here are the key words, although still maintaining he was a turkey, began conducting himself exactly like a regular person. So what happened at the end? Again, we would think that the perfect story is that the turkey prince you know, realized that if I'm eating and drinking and talking and wearing clothing and sitting at the table like a human, I'm a human. That's not what happened. The turkey still maintained that he was a turkey, but he did human-like behavior. 
One of the greatest challenges in doing tshuva is we tell ourselves, I'm not that person. I know who I am. I know how to define myself. I know what I'm capable of. I'm not the kind of person who, you know, maybe daven chakras. I don't, I don't daven chakras. Maybe I haven't daven chakras in 20 years. So today I should daven chakras because I'm having a moment of inspiration. I'm not the kind of person who daven chakras. And I know I'm not going to do it tomorrow. That's not me. I'm not that kind of person. Or I'm not the kind of person who's going to hold myself back from saying Lashon I like saying gossip. That's what I like doing. Or I'm not the kind of person who's going to be careful about certain... But why do we have to define ourselves and then make all of our actions fit in with that, with that description that we, that we give ourselves? We limit ourselves because of our own self-perception of ourselves. We decide who we are. I'm a turkey. And therefore, because I'm a turkey, I can't wear clothing. I can't talk like a human. I can't talk like a human. I can't sit at the table like a human. And I can't, I can't, I can't eat like a human. You know what the old man told, told the turkey? Remain a turkey. Remain exact. I'm not asking you to change your identity. Remain the same turkey that you are. Remain the same person you are. You don't have to say, I'm going to flip out and become somebody totally different. And this Elul, I'm going to look totally different after. You're going to remain the same turkey that you are. But why are you limiting yourself and not doing an action like a human? Do one action like a human. Today you're capable of doing something, so do that one action. Yeah, but then that means that I change my identity and I have to be that person. No, you don't. You, you, can, you can remain the same person. You're the kind of person who always does this, but for right now, you're capable of doing it for the next five minutes? So, so act like a human for five minutes, for five minutes. Your challenge that you always like being on your phone when your, kids, when your kids walk through the door, and it's a challenge which all of us struggle with, we're on our phone and there's important things, and today you decide, you know what, for the next 20 minutes, yeah, but I know that it's not gonna last, and I know that it's not me, and I'm the kind of, kind of person who's always on the phone. So for five minutes, for one day you can't do it, act like a human for one day. That's what the wise man told the prince. You can act like a human for one day and it doesn't have to do with your past and it doesn't have to do with your future. You can be a human for one day and you can remain a turkey. Don't, don't, again, if we have to change our self-perception and we have to say, oh, then I have to become a human, then we're never gonna get out, out from under the table. Remain a turkey, remain the same turkey that you are, but just act like a human for a little bit. Act like a human. That's what the wise man told the turkey. It's, it's, it's probably the most powerful advice that we can receive is that we, we tend to either define ourselves. I'm either a human or a turkey. You're a turkey. That's not a problem. Remain a turkey. Remain, still define yourself as being an animal, as being a turkey, as being, but sit at the table and, and eat regular food and talk like a human and become human. And it's so important. The Chinuch writes, the Sefer Chinuch writes in the mitzvah of Tefillin, such an unbelievable lushan. He writes, he writes that what happens is, he's talking about putting on tefillin, and he writes there are people that go around saying that if a person's not in the spiritual state of cleanliness to put on tefillin, they, they, don't, have the ability, they don't have the ability to, be, to put on tefillin because they're not there. Abel Ba'emes, he writes, he writes that the, the Rabbanim and the Tzadikim and the people that are going around and saying that if you're not holding there, then you can't put on tefillin. He says it's a mania, it's a tremendous obstacle for people and it stops people from doing mitzvahs. He says it's a terrible, terrible thing. He says, He says, I don't believe that that's the way Hashem works. Hashem knows that people do wrong. And Hashem knows that people do things which are wrong. And nevertheless, When I have that ruach, that spirit inside of me, which says, okay, right now for the next five minutes, I want to act like a human and not a turkey. Don't stop yourself. Says the Chinuch, if right now you're capable of putting on tefillin, don't say, yeah, but I'm not the kind of person who's holy. Right now, put on tefillin. Don't listen to that voice inside of you or that voice outside which says, if you're not there, then you can't do that. I can do something which is above me because like we said in the first lesson, it really is me. It really is what I'm capable of. So who knows? Maybe this will actually last. Maybe it will stick. 
He says, The Mishnah in Pirkei Avos tells us, Mitzvah Gerera Severa. Uschar Mitzvah Mitzvah. Do act like a human for a little bit. And don't, don't worry so much about the label that you give yourself of if you are that kind of person or not that kind of, Remain a turkey. That's the wise one. Remain a turkey, but put on clothing. Remain a turkey, but eat like a, eat like a human. Remain a turkey, but sit at the table like a human. And that's the sixth and final lesson. So again, I'll just you know, briefly, briefly go through the six lessons. The first lesson is it's madness. Recognizing that the Averis that we're doing is madness. It's not the real us. It's not what we really want to be doing. And it's a spirit, it's a ruach shtus, like Hazal tell us, which we fall into. It's kashalta, we trip over that, and that makes us do Averis. The second, the second lesson is that it's a process. It takes time. And we don't have to be healed right away completely. It's a long, long, long process. It takes decades and decades, and it's a lifelong process to do tshuva. The third thing is recognizing we need outside help. Finding somebody outside of us who can say, you're a prisoner to whatever, whatever challenge you're stuck in, let me help you get out of that place. Starting to have real, authentic, vulnerable conversations with those around us, which will help us get out of the place and help us create a, a, a chevra, a group of people who say, okay, let's work on this together. Let's, let's you know, join together to try to work on this. I know my wife, my wife runs a, a, a very popular link-up group. Which, which is, that's the purpose of the group. It's, it's, it's not about somebody giving Musr, but it's, it's getting together and saying, okay, there are challenges of technology in 2022, and, and let's recognize that we have these challenges, let's, and I we can't get myself out of the challenges of my own. Let's get together and say, how do we get out of the process together? Number four is Hashem doesn't judge us. Hashem comes under the table with us and says, I'm here with you. I understand what you're going through. Hashem knows what we're going through. Hashem doesn't judge us. He understands, that he understands the challenges and understands what we're going through. The fifth lesson is that one step in the right direction is already tshuva. That's already called tshuva. If we made one step, we shouldn't fool ourselves and say, well, we're not there. Yeah, but you made one step, that's already called tshuva. And the sixth lesson is remain a turkey. Remain, don't, don't, be wor- don't be so worried about the label. I know Rabbi Elephant, my Rabbi in Eretz Yisrael, always says that you know, boys are very worried about learning because they say, well, if I start learning you know, an extra, an extra, a little bit more nights here, then I'm gonna flip out. And I, I'm scared I'm gonna flip out and become that guy who like, went way too intense. Don't worry so much about the label. He says, don't worry about it. Just learn a little bit extra. And don't worry so much about your identity and how you identify yourself. Let's not limit ourselves because of our self-perception of who we are. Mitzvah Shem, hopefully this story from Reb Nachman, which again, I'm sure there's a lot, lot more to talk about in this story, but hopefully these six lessons will help us in the process of doing tshuva and will help us slowly move, slowly move from being under the table, eating food like a turkey, not talking to being able to get back to that place. We recognize that every one of us is a prince and a princess. Every one of us is a ben melech and a bas melech and recognize that we have that relationship to the Rabbi Hashem. And Mitzvah Hashem b'zeicha. Every one of us will be b'zeicha b'din to a proper, a proper tshuva and a shana tevil m'sukah.